I've looked for these opportunities where students can bring their identities into not just the things they're turning into me, but into the dialogue that we're having when we discuss articles. Give me your take. Uh, if you were angry, that's okay. S state it that way. You don't have to clean it up for me. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Dara Byrne. I'm the Associate Provost for Undergraduate Retention and Dean of Undergraduate Studies. And hi, I'm Allison Pease, Associate Provost for Institutional Effectiveness. In this podcast, we're going to be continuing the conversation about the call for change at John Jay. As you know from the first episode, we had a really rich discussion about the ways in which our faculty and our students were leading a discussion on what is next for John Jay, particularly as we think about our institutional identity, our commitment to justice, and the ways in which we could use our curriculum to better equip our students to enter society as professionals who are contributing to a renewed sense of justice and fairness. And so in this podcast, we asked five outstanding professors what a culturally affirming curriculum means to them. We were joined by Jama Adams, Associate Professor of Africana Studies, Lizette Delgado Cruzada, Associate Professor of Molecular Biology, Nina Rose Fisher, Assistant Professor of Interdisciplinary Studies, Henry Smart III, Assistant Professor of Public Management, and Monica Son, Assistant Professor and Chair of the SEEK Department. Welcome, professors. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to listen to you and learn from you. So let's start this with the most important or pressing question, which is related to the focus of this show. What for you is a culturally affirming curriculum? Yeah, so for me, it's curriculum that leaves space for students to bring their identities, and hopefully those identities will surface in the form of uh, particular topics that we're covering, themes that we're covering, uh, articles they want to actually engage, but in a class setting. Yeah, that's very, uh, we do something similar in interdisciplinary studies, and I, I'm also very student-centered, and I, I introduce students to theories where students can conceptualize student experience within that construct. So, for instance, at ecosystem theory, talking about uh, the, uh, what influences uh, individuals or a, a situation's development from micro to macro, and students will do eco maps about students' uh, own lives and how did I get to John Jay, and talk about the context of, of immigration, the context of racism, of sexism, of homophobia, of, of the uh, individual's family life, of the community, and how that all influences how that, that student got to John Jay, and then the students will actually map out the student's experience. And so it'll be in the context of ecosystems, but it will also be related to a racism, to xenophobia, uh, to sexism, and understanding who we are in the context of, of our society and, and within oppression and, and other influences in our lives that got us to, to where we are today. And how, how, how do we transcend 
those obstacles that we, we deal with because of, of the institutionalized uh, oppressive structures. And I think we have to protect that space where the university is nonpartisan because both the left and the right have very clear ideas of how we should teach our students. And we wanna make sure that a culturally inclusive and rigorous curriculum um, does not pander to either of those. It, it, it interrogates all of those models. I guess I go in a different direction and think more about what is it that we're missing when our students are learning in terms of their own experiences through, um, through the content they're looking at, right? And I guess this happens because I'm coming from an area of work and research in which um, some issues um, that are very relevant to us in everyday life, social issues, cultural ones, are not usually the ones that we talk about. So, um, you know, it makes me think about the books that we use in the classroom, and it makes me think about um, the kind of, um, I guess, a scholarship the students are looking at. So, so for me, it brings in something some change in, in the way that we choose the scholarship our students are working with and, um, and the scholars that we are showing them um, in the classroom. So, so that's kind of, um, you know, when I'm thinking about inclusivity and when I'm thinking about what the curriculum should present, I think of those things that are not there now and that so many people are pushing for in the sciences, that that's where I come from. And, um, and I think that should, you know, we should be working on that because we have particularly students that are asking for this information and that are kind of demanding from us that we, we take a look at it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with my colleague, um, Lizette and, and Jama. I also, when I think about culturally affirming curriculum, I think about curriculum that includes me, like someone like me, someone in my body. Um, and for, for, for me in particular, I identify as Afro-Dominican and Latina and also someone who was born to immigrant parents. Um, I wanna see work that represents people from my culture and not just culture, not just, you know, um, authors who, who might share the same identities as me, but also thinking about the way that we come to know knowledge, um, the many different ways in which knowledge is produced and reproduced, and not just the, the historical academic um, university way, um, but a way that, that includes um, stories and circles and um, collaborative community work um, and participation, um, just the different ways that that represents 
the many different cultures um, that that our students come from, the many different ways that that honor the knowledge that they bring in and the knowledge that that they may not even recognize as knowledge. That's fascinating, Monica, because one of the many humbling experiences I've had in the classroom is this struggle between the notion of an irreducible set of knowledge that the students should have. I'll give you a very simple example. Like, how many people live in New York City? And they say 3 billion. I said, no, no, it's more like 8.75 billion. So you've got that body of knowledge, whether it's theories, the periodic table, whatever. And then you put them into groups where you're not as dominant and you walk around and you hear them sharing these knowledge sets, which can map onto what you're doing. So I know Alison is going to laugh at this, but the English department offers a course on King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I'm like, they're thinking, what the hell does this have to do with modern day teaching? But there's a way to read that course as talking about governance issues. And our students are very concerned and involved about governance issues. So we, the faculty, need help on understanding the deep commonalities that our Eurocentric curriculum has with the Latinx or the African-American or the Native American curriculum. And we need help in excavating and showing those commonalities. dig a little bit deeper because I, I, what I'm hearing you um, say is one student input and I'm definitely hearing socio-political consciousness but I but um, Nina you you mentioned and I kind of want to dig in deeper to this part of having students relate to from their own lives whatever is being taught right um, because there's there's two words we're trying to explore here cultural and affirmation. Um, and so, so what culture and, and what, what affirmation, right? Or what is affirming? So, so can we talk a little bit about students, the students that we serve, and how we're navigating the affirmation of their culture and their experiences? Is there something specific that you do that you, or that is um, sort of informs your practice? Um, so one of the other, one of my favorite uh, curricula to use is the Chimamanda Adichie piece about a single story. Uh, we have the, the students watch the Chima, or watch the TED Talk, and then uh, we talk about this notion of what are the single stories people have told about us and uh, our culture and our identities. And we also pair this with intersectionality, where we've already talked about this theoretical construct of the different aspects of our identity. We use a Kimberly Crenshaw's seminal piece about mapping the margins. And, and, and students uh, are, are actually write pieces about this is what society and my family and my community have told me I'm supposed to be 
based on these stereotypes and, and single stories about the different aspects of my identity. And this is who I actually am. This is my true self. And so it's a wonderful mm-hmm. space for us to be interdisciplinary and the students to use prose and poetry and spoken word. And we have the students watch different spoken word artists who are affirming around culture. Stacey and Chin is a, is a friend of mine and a, an amazing spoken word artist. And so we, we watch and, uh, and explore Stacey Ann's work and, um, uh, and spoken word artists who and kind of culturally reflected beautiful and rich human environment of our John Jay students. And then the students, again, uh, watch the Chimamanda Adichie piece and write student pieces. And then we, we perform them for each other, which is really beautiful. And uh, it's been uh, every class that we do this exercise, it's always the class that students say, because Henry, we do similarly to you at the end. We get feedback from our students, say what worked, what didn't, what you like, what you hate, what could we do, what could we do better. And students always say that was my favorite class. That was so fun. That was so affirming. That was so, um, I learned so much. From, from my fellow students about cultural experience, about identity. And it, again, it's that taking the theory right, of intersectionality and this notion of the single story and then actually uh, experiencing right, what that means in its fullness. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you uh, touch on Kimberly's work. Uh, I showed a video of her TED Talk. Uh, where she is the say my name piece. I think maybe we've seen perfect. Uh, And so this particular cohort this year is an all-female cohort of eight students. Um, I purposefully selected literature that was written by not just black feminists. I started there because sometimes there's when you have more than one disenfranchised group that identity that you may be able to those groups that you can identify with I think that when you put pen to paper when those type of individuals put pen to paper it speaks to a form of disempowerment and empowerment that can't really be explained if I sat down and wrote about a topic and so they are being exposed to Elizabeth Martinez uh, Angela Davis Bell Hooks Uh, but we started this out with that TED Talk on intersectionality because I wanted them to embrace their identities that they brought to the course and know that it was a space that they can share those identities. Sometimes students don't feel safe to do that. Uh, and another technique, while it's, it's a bit more simple than some of the work that Nina just described, is if I'm describing a writing assignment to them and I know that they're using their voice to advocate on behalf of other populations, I encourage them to be creative with the title. If, if, if English is your second language, give me what is your first in your title. Maybe even sprinkle some of that throughout your paper. Uh, but bring those voices that you're representing alive in the way that you know best. And, and in doing that, I think they educate everyone else in the room, in the class, uh, we have one student from Hindu culture, so she brings that in. And I'm learning more just having her in the room. Uh, while it might be affirming her, she's also bringing us along for the ride. So I think just just simple things like when we describe assignments to them, uh, we're discussing them in class before we release the prompt, let's encourage creativity that goes beyond this sort of sort of static way of delivering content to your professor. Uh, so I encourage them just to be creative in that way. I love that you said that. And that's 
that similar exercise, we also say we want you to feel confident and comfortable using your dialect in the in the piece about the single story. Uh, if you said whether it's language or it's, it's cadence or dialect, bring that to that experience. So it's a really full cultural affirmation and not just like perpetuating the you know, canon of this is how you're supposed to, right? This is an expository piece. So these disciplines have been built. Um, they were not built by everyone exactly. Everyone wasn't at the table when you know the these these books were put together, and when the main contents for a particular discipline were decided. Right. So so. So that brings in the issue of how do we um, provide the students with the content they do need and the tools they actually need to be successful um, when they go out there and start doing things and also include something else, right, that or, or, or play around with what we know is also available to them to, to show them more than just those basic pieces of knowledge and I'm bringing like Monica is saying other narratives and other ways and other ways of learning and also um, something that includes them right um, I think I think that's fundamental so for me the classroom is 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 another way of creating knowledge together as a group. So really the affirming culture begins from the very beginning. And one of the things that we, well, two of the things that we talk about is who do you represent? Um, because of the, the students that we serve, we know many of them are first year students or immigrant, um, are immigrants or have parents who are immigrants. Um, and and historically, education is an important part of of that journey, right? It's an important part of of um, becoming and and gaining success in that journey. Um, so we talk about, you know, who do you represent? Who who got you here? Um, who are you doing this for? Um, and also thinking about who were your who are your teachers and the reason why i ask that is because we begin to break down what what is a teacher right and 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 what is learning like a, a teacher is someone who facilitates learning and that doesn't need to be me the person who's standing in the room that could be the person sitting next to you, your peer or your brother or your sister. Um, but the many ways that, that we can learn from one another. So the, the piece around um, affirming culture is also is yes about, you know, seeing all the different 
actors in, in the space and, and being able to make connections with those things, but also that there is a, a, a room for, for, for all of it, um, for everyone to, to share a piece of, of this creation of knowledge, right? And everything and all the topics that we're, we're talking about in particular, what I teach is around education and justice. Um, and so the many, many ways in which we see um, the absence of justice um, in, in, in this particular setting, which is in an urban setting. Um, so I think for, for me, it, it, it is, begins in, in the very first few classes. So they just sit back and you're trying to facilitate what Monica is speaking about in terms of the student as a knowledge creator, but they're not used to being treated that way. So you put something out there and you just get silence and you're like, I got this curriculum to go through. I know about social construction. So you defensively retreat into a lecture where they faithfully, two-thirds of the class, faithfully write down everything you say and faithfully give it back. And you just sense that something is not right here. So the help we need is like, how do you access those rich knowledge modules that the students have in a way that can facilitate doing what a university does, which is to get them to have a knowledge base, reflect, and um, you know, generate new knowledge forms. That's, that's a challenge we all face today. You're anxious, you just lecture. Like at every step or at every level of instruction, students should be um, given materials that represent them. I think it's difficult sometimes to find these materials. And I think it, there's actually very few places where you find a resource that is inclusive and culturally affirming for every, you know, um, group, like, you have to dig a lot to to pull out materials that you can use. And I think just that safe space of giving them the precursors and the um, sort of setup to let them know that whatever you say in this space is sacred space and your opinion does not have to be changed, nor do your ideas. And we'll support you, even if there's a difference of opinion this is the space to have that difference and to work through it. Uh, and I say those type of affirmations before we even start the semester. Uh, it is my intention to, to remind them mid-semester and then to celebrate them and the fact that we moved forward with these affirmations together as a group at the end of the semester. Uh, so I do exactly. think quite a bit of this is the speech acts of the instructor um, because we assume that students... Uh, assume that we are for equity and equality, but I think we should state what we are for so that they feel comfortable in the learning space. I appreciate what I'm hearing from you guys about the way that you intentionally create safe spaces. And I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about the role of the professor. Um, Henry, you were, you were, uh, saying that um, instructors should state their beliefs or state their values or anything along those lines. But sometimes we hear from our students that they don't feel safe in the classroom, that they've had experiences that um, 
that make them um, feel, think, think twice about coming back to the class and uh, think um, about their positionality at John Jay. And I'm just wondering, what is the role of the, in, the professor in this? In, and how would you deal with difficult conversations or, or if a student comes to you and said, based on that discussion, I don't feel safe. What next? Right. I've, I've had a student, uh, this, this actually happened at the beginning of our semester, so we had to have a reset. Uh, we had an orientation, uh, and I, it's, we do have to be somewhat mindful of the beliefs that we have. The only time that I share my personal beliefs is to let students know that particular articles were selected not because of my political choices or, or uh, inclinations. So that's the only time I, I want to make sure that they know that I'm selecting the content from a place of concern, development, uh, and learning. Uh, so that might be the only time that I share um, because politics and, and so forth, I think, come through uh, in our discussions without me having to do, make you know, pure proclamations. <laughs> I often allow students to lead uh, discussions and the reactions and, and I sort of put out a feeler question. And if it's important for me to adjust certain things in the dialogue, I try to wait to the very end to make sure that everyone has had an opportunity to sort of chime in. So I think that's one way to do it strategically. Don't place yourself at the front of the dialogue, right? And it's okay to say, okay, in this moment, it's time for you all to share. And hmm, maybe I'll learn a little bit, too, before I say what I have to say. I have found that if you encourage as many students as possible to respond, whether it be an article, video, whatever the content you're covering, you don't have to do a lot of cleaning up at the end or restructuring of the dialogue. And sometimes you don't even have to add to it because what the students have provided is so rich. They may have covered all of the points that you had down on your cheat sheet before you walked into the class. Uh, so I do think just sort of the instructors could take a beat and just put the feelers out there, ask the right prompt questions that will allow them to sort of organically share their reaction to the material, the content, the theme of the week. And if you get enough of them to respond, you'll notice they'll start picking, picking up where the last one left off. And again, they end up covering all of your material. And I let them know. I was like, look, I don't even have to teach you today. You guys are on fire today. And <laughs> giving them that positive reinforcement when we move to the next section, they're just as engaged. So I think when they realize that they have that space and that opportunity and they can take a lead role in the class discussion, it's less work for me. There's a benefit there. Some of the materials that I've used and resources have been shared with me by students. Um, and I, I granted, again, I teach education and justice. So I, I use a lot of students. Um, we talk about their experiences in education. So there's a lot to draw from um, in a way that might not be you know, um, the same for someone who teaches in the sciences, right? Or even math. Um, yeah. But I, I think about, I don't even, I'm trying to remember um, 
why I started doing that. Um, but I think it was because of the silence that that Jama was referring to. It was like, you know, clearly you don't want to read what I'm putting out there. So what do you want to read? You know, um, and I think that was, you know, such an important turn in in, in my teaching. Um, and and I learned, you know, I learned more about teaching from that process um, than, you know, maybe reading about how I should be teaching better in a book. Um, and so there's something about really including um, students in the conversation about what they, what they want to learn about that's relevant in the particular area that you're you're teaching um, in and and also I I love those examples that Jama was naming you know the 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 contextual surroundings of of where you are you know observing um, evidence of data or you know questions about you know theories that you're you're being introduced to um, in your courses so I I think. I want to definitely highlight this piece around bringing in students and and what what they want to know more about. I'm a believer that everybody wants to change, but sometimes we get overwhelmed. So I always go for what's the small and easy start. Do you guys have, you know, for somebody, let's just say, who's on the journey and wants to start really trying to incorporate culturally affirming either curriculum or pedagogy into their work, where do they start? What's a small thing they can do to change? I'm going to go back to the norms. I think it's really important that from the beginning of your class, you're establishing a safe, supportive, cooperative environment with your students. I think that's really, really critical. I think if you don't have the space to be able to, to communicate in a way that's affirming and supportive and acknowledging when something is said that's not culturally affirming uh, and, 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 and that describes and discusses what is culturally affirming, then it's, it's very hard to do it later on. And that's when you have faculty uh, you know, being confronted by a student or a student goes and talks to an administrative person because something very offensive happened in the classroom that shut that student down. I have students come to me often saying, this faculty said this, this faculty used this term and it was very offensive. And now it's making me not want to participate in that class and I'm shut down, right? So it really helps, again, create that framework so that you have productive uh, discussions and, and intellectual discourse rather than uh, creating an environment where people feel shut down and are not learning. One of the things that I incorporate um, is, a, is a tool called um, community agreements. And we do this in, in the beginning, maybe second or third class. Um, and what we do is is we come up as a group um, together with, um, I guess, rules. You could say rules about um, how how everyone in the in the classroom should be behaving and what's the expectation. So, 
an example would be like what I what I say in the class stays in the class. Um, and we make a list. It's never anything more than five or, or six points. Um, but it's something that we we all agree on um, so that that students can feel safe. And particularly because the courses I teach touch on topics of, of race and, and identity and power and privilege and and class, gender, there there are areas that that you know will will might particularly trigger um, some folks in in the class. So we we set up from the very beginning um, a method of of ensuring that there's some some not safety in general, but a safer space. Um, a space where we all are in agreement about doing something together that uh, where we can learn, but also feel we can say things um, to one another. I was really struck by the expertise in these conversations. Um, We have a range of faculty at the college who approach their classrooms and their work on developing a culturally affirming safe space for students with deep intentionality. And I have to tell you, Allison, it gave me great pause in thinking about the ways that any faculty member, regardless of where they are right now, could develop similar expertise. So here are a couple of highlights. Um, It's clear when we listen to our guests that this kind of process or practice requires deep thought and intentionality. Absolutely no one will arrive at a culturally affirming classroom by accident. Two, planning and intentionality requires investment of time, time in learning about the tools, the pedagogy that supports this kind of classroom. And three, a culturally affirming classroom also requires that the professor makes clear to students what that kind of classroom contract looks like, what students can expect to receive from the professor, what they can expect to receive from each other, and a conscious ongoing commitment to preserving that in the classroom. I agree, Dora. And I'm struck that we asked folks to talk about a culturally affirming curriculum. And it keeps coming back to a pedagogy. It's not so much what you teach, it's how you teach it and how you think about the students that you are creating knowledge with in the classroom. Absolutely. And as you know, I keep reflecting on the difference between what our faculty are speaking about today and what my experiences were like 
when I attended a predominantly white institution with predominantly white faculty um, more than 20 and some years ago. And it has never occurred to me then, it would have never occurred to me that faculty were thinking about my history, my culture, my identity, and how to create a classroom environment in which I could draw on those that history and invest it in what I was learning. That's a really powerful context. And I think about how crucial that is given our Hispanic serving and minority serving identity at the institutional level and how it plays out in the classroom. Inviting students into all aspects of the campus is a priority. And what that means is that their histories, their experiences, their lived realities are an entree for deeper learning and engagement for all students. And when we do this, we will all be enriched, faculty and students, by that learning experience, that collaborative learning experience.